Welcome to the Zulu Time podcast, a straight talking conversation between two watch enthusiasts about the world of military watches. I hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to episode 51 of the Zulu Time podcast with your host Dan from at Timely underscore moments. So um, yeah, it's been a month since the last episode. Um, that is mainly because, as I said in the last one, we will be dropping to one episode a month until my schedule kind of clears up a little bit with this career course. Um, but also a lot of things in terms of like watch events and watch releases have happened in the last month. So I felt it was actually, you know, quite fortunate really that I have gone into a, a monthly um, episode release, mainly because it gives me more to talk about on a selfish note. Um, so without further ado, um, I've actually managed to coerce uh, James from uh, Just Two Ticks to come back on, mainly because in the last month or so, me and James have run into each other a fair bit at a couple of watch events. And I thought that he was, you know, appropriately placed for um, a bit of a summary, really, on the last kind of like months watch releases and watch events that have happened um, in UK, um, and particularly the ones that we've uh, both been to. Um, so, yeah, James, how are you, mate? I'm good. I'm good. I'm a bit tired since I was, um, uh, I was we've had our child. Um, myself and my fiance, so uh, pretty bruised on that, <laughs> but, um, but enjoying it nonetheless. I mean, I don't envy you, I won't lie to you. Um, I've got multiple nieces and nephews, and I know it's not the same, but it is quite amusing to see, uh, to kind of be, yeah, that one step removed from it all, especially, you know, seeing, in my case, my nieces and nephews grow up. So, yeah, uh, definitely not envious of what you're going through at the moment, but you know, I mean, apparently there's light at the end of the tunnel. It just so happens to be, you know, when they're 18 years old. That's what I've been told. <laughs> it very much has its um, upside, but it's not down. I think um, it's amazing watching her grow, even in the first sort of weeks old at the moment. Even growing through that, it's amazing watching her how she sort of develops the rest of it. So, uh, um, yeah, I think, you know, there is definitely balance to that message, but I'm, I'm certainly reeling from the tiredness. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it also doesn't help me that uh, since I last saw you, obviously you brought your daughter along to one one event and then obviously not to another, uh, but you've also been busy with like watch stuff as well. So, you know, maybe you need to calm down on, on watch events and it might, uh, it might you know, balance back uh, your energy for daddy duty, I guess. Um, <laughs> but you know at the same time don't do that because you know watches are cool um so on the subject of watches uh, before we kind of get into a bit of this summary on like watch events in uk um the new releases from various uh, predominantly british brands actually which is quite cool um and then i guess our take on how these these releases will affect you know the or potentially affect uh, you know the makeup of british watchmaking you know effectively from now onwards um what what have you got on your list today um topically and entirely by accident i've got um my brown alt 1p on oh, nice. um on a uh, bremont um nature which is quite a nice little combo um it's the original 1p which has the uh eight o'clock um uh, internal uh 
nice. Yeah, it's um, that was my my first watch. It was my watch, uh, my first watch, my first expensive watch, I suppose, that sort of got me into this sort of financial downhill situation. Um, <laughs> watch collector. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it was my it was the first of the brown ones I bought. The first that got me into a watch collection properly, um, and uh, yeah, I sort of got it out of the watch box today and. Um, going to a friend of mine um of uh, vintage aircraft today for lunch um and it felt topical to have a pilot's watch on to go to uh to go and sort of see them so uh, yeah today what about you nice um so i've got um a recent um acquirement i suppose uh so recent purchase um so as you know um mainly because i showed you um, the development of the project um, since its inception and then obviously more recently in the last couple of months more physical elements of that project obviously my uh, special project with Elliot Brown came to completion so I have my new um, Elliot Brown Canford on uh, which is obviously a special uh, project for the intelligence Corps. so a project led that one um, we basically produced 112 watches uh, all of them sold out within like 48 hours. Um, and we also raised um, a sizable amount of money to charity as well, which will go towards um, effectively members of the intelligence corps, uh, serving and retired veterans and reserves and all that kind of stuff um, as a part of the association that supports those who have served and continue to serve within the corps, um, which is quite a nice, you know, way to round out that project so I'm currently wearing that at the moment it's not really left the wrist since it came in um and it's just a really cool watch you know it is it's another special project to add to the collection and as you know I like watches that are slightly unique and different compared to everybody else's um, yeah nice um yeah I've seen it as you say and you've sort of been communicating with me a bit throughout the project and it's uh, been exciting for fruition so it was nice to see it complete it's a really nice piece yeah thanks man um, and also it's really cool to um kind of see how a special project kind of you know gets done as it were with a different brand uh, so obviously as you know i've been involved with bremont in the past where i've obviously designed a watch and been a project leader but obviously i've been a recipient of other watches through bremont um, and their special projects team and obviously that's a, a really cool experience as well but it's also quite cool to experience um the differences and the similarities with how elliot brown conduct theirs as well so that's been just been really fun mm. uh, to work with another brand really um and again, like you said, it's the ability to take something from an idea through to a digital render, from a digital render to a sample case, to a sample dial, and then obviously put that all together to the final watch. So, you know, it's just a really cool process. So it's been fun. Yeah, um, it's they're an interesting brand, Elliot Brown. As you know, I've got the Halton Professional, um, which you sort of turned me on to ages ago. Um, but yeah, they do some really interesting watches and they've got sort of like a really interesting sort of approach to it. And the guys are always, always very approachable when you sort of met them a couple of times. Yeah, they are really cool, really cool. And like you said, really approachable. In fact, um, talking about world time, 
Um, that was actually the first event that me and you obviously recently met back up at, as it were, because obviously, you know, yeah. you know, watch events haven't been happening because of obviously the current or the previous restrictions and all that kind of stuff. And I think it was really cool that watch time managed to go ahead this year, uh, especially with the delay from last year. Um, but it was really good to see um, Elliot Brown there and see some of their new new watches that they're um, obviously looking to release, I think, uh by end of November, early December, I think was the rough timeline that they 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 told me. Yeah, um, that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, but that was a really cool watch. Um, a new uh, divers watch, effectively, wasn't it? You know, and it was, I believe, for top of my head, I think it was a slightly smaller case. Um, in fact, I've just pulled up the specs actually because I pulled it up on the website. It's a it's a part of the Blocksworth range. Um, it's a three-handed diver, uh, and it's uh, forty mil. Um, compared to obviously the other ranges of watches in the Elliott Brown line, which tend to be um, 42, 43 mil um, and up for the more gents uh, side of the of the brand. And then obviously they've got the Kimmeridge at the moment, mm. which I believe is slightly smaller at 39, something like that for, for ladies. Um, but I was really impressed with that watch. I thought it was really cool. I like the different colorways that it's it's obviously got. Um, and they were obviously quite happy for us to have a look at some of their of, of those watches, obviously that are due to come out. Um, mm. And obviously they on the website. Uh, if there are people out there who like bronze watches, I personally I'm not a fan of bronze watches because I just don't like watches that patina in that way. Um, they do have a limited edition bronze version, which is considered the founders edition. So obviously if that's something that floats your boat, I would you know go and have a look at that uh, and even if it doesn't go and have a look at the founders edition anyway because obviously it will show you what the uh, new Blocksworth diver will look like yeah they um i think you remember there's paperwork from that new collection of Blocksworth. i think was launching by itself earlier or something for on instagram not too long ago and then there's the others as you say that were coming out sort of back in the november time um, which they were quite defensive about, actually, in terms of people taking pictures of, which I thought was quite amusing. They had the sort of separate on the side so that people yeah. could take pictures of their stand without getting that. But there were some, like you said, some really cool looking colourways, and there's definitely one in there I've got my eye on. Um, so looking forward to seeing that sort of come out a bit later in the year. And I really enjoyed the stand, actually. I thought um, they got the, they had the rebreather gear there from sort of, uh, looks like um, Special Forces rebreather equipment from some time ago. It looks a bit battered and used. Um, on the side with the uh, um, the Holton sort of displayed on it, and then they had a sort of diving knife and a few other bits and pieces and a decent collection of um, their watches. So it was it was a pretty cool stand again from them. I think. Yeah, I think they always are happy to show, as Darren would say, a little bit of leg. Uh, you know, with their their mm. new releases, I think that's always what those kind of events are for. I think they like obviously teasing a little bit of their new releases occasionally when they have the ability to do so. Um, so I think that's really cool. Yeah. And like I said, you know, when you look at it, you can understand why, but you're right with their stand in general, I think they had a really cool stand. Like you said, it was kind of like one of those where it was almost like they had that military-esqueness to it, you know, cause obviously they even had, you know, a bit of a military backdrop on the Elliot Brown banners behind them. Um, but it was cool to see that the actual retail side of it, they didn't disclude anything. You know, they had uh, examples of every line 
in various different colorways, you know, and obviously, like you said, because Ian and Alex and everyone who I know, uh, Elliot Brown are incredibly approachable, you know, they're more than happy to allow you to go up, you know, take photos of them, try them on, you know, ask about the watches themselves and the different lines and, you know, I guess get some uh, hands on time with them, you know, especially if you hadn't heard of the brand before. And um, actually, while after you'd left, a few people, you know, just in hearing passing conversation or coming up to us, you know, in general, when you're mingling at events like that, all stated that quite a few of them had never heard of Elliot Brown before. So I think it's quite cool to kind of, you know, for them to get out there. And like you said, be kind of recognized at that event as, you know, like I said, a stand that was quite cool and stood out compared to other stands, you know, in their own way. So yeah, it was it was a pretty cool event. I was surprised at um some of the you know, the nature of the travel that was involved in getting to and I mean over next to Heathrow makes you know exclusive to having people flying in and just dropping in for the um this event itself i thought you know given some of the brands that showed up i thought there was a really good mix that um the guys managed to get in terms of sort of brands to show um i think particularly um enjoyed the docs stand actually i've never seen any uh docs stuff in person before um yeah. thought that was a cool stand they had a really broad selection of their products on show and all the rest of it um that was that was uh nice sort of experience getting to actually handle some of those pieces yeah and i think as well um it was at least the uk managing director i think was there from doxa which is pretty cool um but you're you're a bit like yourself i've never handled doxa more modern doxa watches at least um in person and the one that i thought was really cool even though i'd never buy it because i don't really like brightly colored dials um but the one that i thought was really cool was that carbon case one um, yeah. I thought that was just yeah, really so fun. They had the um, they had a black carbon case with orange dial, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was very cool. Um, forged carbon, I think, was the the case was made of, which I thought was quite interesting. The way it sort of appeared and like the texture on it and everything was pretty cool. Um, mm. But yeah, that was a very fun piece. That one with the um, decompression bezel on it, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, it was a really cool watch, and like you said, that forged carbon process made it look a little bit like um, I felt it looked like marbling, like black marble. Um, yeah, yeah, it was interesting seeing that in comparison because the the Formex guys had their uh, in, injection molded carbon case, mm. um, which doesn't really have that texture in the same way that the the forged one did. And I think actually, sort of having seen them more or less next to each other. Um, certainly uh, the forged carbon was much nicer looking, I thought. Yeah, yeah, I thought it just, it added, I think a different visual appeal to it. I think, you know, like I said, if you're gonna have a watch made out of carbon, I think, you know, make it look different as well, instead of just a black watch, um, you know, or like, you know, that standard kind of hash kind of pattern that you normally see on things that are made of carbon fiber. Um, I just thought it was really nice to see you know, like I said, just a, di a different visual appeal to that watch. Um, would I buy one? Probably not. Did I think it was cool? Yeah, you know. Um, and actually, it was really cool to take photographs of. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. You know, as, as a watch. It's one of those like watches, I think, it grabs you or, or 
you just think it's cool and it doesn't quite sort of float your boat but i think it's you know it's a very nicely made watch they've got a few different colors i think there's a yellow a sort of turquoisey blue and that orange yeah. one yeah so definitely gonna um you know rock certain people's boats and, and they were really really nice and frighteningly light as well it's sort of like the, the way yeah incredibly light i think off the top of my head i think the lady at the stand i say lady at the stand like she was no one i'm pretty sure that was like you know their head honcho for uk um she said i think it was like 92 or 82 grams on the I wrist 80, i think 82 or something was yeah that rings a bell with me yeah it's bonkers you know, which is funny because actually two weeks later, I went into um, an Amiga AD up here in the Midlands uh, just by chance. And not that they allowed me to pull it out the case because obviously it's an incredibly disgustingly expensive watch. Um, but the only other really like carbon watch I've seen lately was that Aquaterra that was made in conjunction with Rory McElroy and the whole golfing thing. Um, and apparently Amiga got yeah. that down to 40 something grams without the, without the bracelet and the strap yeah. or whatever it was. So you sit there and kind of go, that's mental, Crazy. you know. Uh, but yeah, carbon, cool material to put into watches. I think, I think um, you know, there should be more ap applications for that personally. Um, you know, I just thought it was cool. Um, uh, for me, that I think it was like I said, the, the general um, event was just cool to to kind of be back there and see some you know familiar faces. Uh, it was good to to get um, face to face back with uh, Darren and the boys from uh, Zulu Alpha because I've I've not seen them since the pandemic yeah. basically started. Um, obviously, in a what in a uh, you know a watch group chat with them. But obviously, that's not not the same. But it was, it was good good to get back with them and you know other guys who obviously are members of that uh, watch group chat, as it were. And you know that's that side of uh, watch collecting um, and just have a couple of drinks with them and you know actually catch up was just I think it was just really enjoyable. Um, and like I said, you know if you could see some cool watches as well, that was always good. Um, I believe the next uh, World Time event has already been penciled in for the same time next year. Um, and also I've heard rumors that it's going to be at the other end of the hotel in a slightly bigger bar venue, which is always good. So it's, it's nice to see the event itself also kind of go from strength to strength. Um, yeah. I think every time I've gone, uh, and I've gone now, I think at least twice, um, it's been bigger each time I've gone or, you know, there's been different, there's at least been more people there, whether there's been more watch makers and brands there, I can't say. I think it's always been about a steady, steady amount, but it's still good to see that, you know, that event as it, as an event is getting, you know, bigger. So, yeah, I think, I think it could very well do with that actually, a touch more space yeah. um, to actually mill around the watch stands with would be good. So it's a little bit less compressed, especially mm -hmm. sort of nowadays post COVID times and all the rest of it, not sort of yeah. being sort of quite such a, it wasn't ridiculous. It was just, you know, marginally hard work to get through, especially as we had the um, Pram and Amelia with us. So. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, that made it even more, we were probably getting cursed out of everyone for taking up too much space, but I, I think having a bit more space between tables would be a good thing. But yeah, I mean, it's a great, it's a great event run by um, some great people. They yeah. managed to get a decent variance of interesting brands, some of which never heard of or seen before. Um, and you get some sort of decent hands-on time with uh, with the you know people from behind the brand typically, um, mm -hmm. and and their watches. I think um, there was I think the only 
there was one particular brand which I won't mention that I found hard work at their stand. They weren't that interested in engaging. Um, don't know why. Maybe I'd upset them inadvertently by walking over to their stand and asking them about their watches. But um, otherwise, everybody was was fine. Just like the year before, everybody was good. I think um, must be more down to those individuals rather than anything else. But mm. I think um, good good solid selection of brands. Good to see some brands there that were there last time, and some brand new ones which I hadn't seen before. Um, yeah. With some really, really, really interesting pieces. It's a great little event, um, and it's free to turn up to. Um, you get a little swag bag kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, from from various different stands as you go around them, you get sort of a few freebies here and there. So yeah, it's, it's a really, really cool little um, sort of show to drop into, really. Yeah, and also don't forget they always do a raffle, and you can always win more. Yes, absolutely. Which I I won um, a prize at the raffle uh the previous time um when we went uh unfortunately not no such no such joy this time <laughs> <laughs> but you just have to keep going back and hope that you can uh, win again so say so, yeah. yes. um so yeah that, there you go guys i think that's well time pretty much covered like i said next if you weren't there uh this year obviously look look to get them uh next year it's affiliated to the divers watches facebook group um, which is exactly what it says on the, on the tin. It's a Facebook group for people who like divers watches. Um, and then affiliated to that is the actual World Time UK page. Um, but both pages obviously are, are run by the same people and, you know, they regularly link back to each other when there's, you know, uh, an announcement about the World Time event. So if you aren't a member on that Facebook group, become a member and you'll just see all the updates drop in from there. Right. Um, Moving on to the other big event that happened in the last couple of weeks. So we actually obviously, you know, we, we stated this in the last time we got you onto the podcast. We met at a Brown event. We met at the townhouse event, which launched the HMAF collection, um, yeah. which was really cool. Um, and then obviously... Uh, obviously last week, uh, Brown released the Longitude. And we were both there for that. Yeah. Um, so from your point of view, James, what, what did you think of the event itself? Let's go for the event first before we go on to the actual watch, because I think, you know, a lot of people initially uh, in the last couple, well, in the last week or so, pretty, pretty much have been messaging me going, you know, what was the event like? How did it compare to other Bremont events, be that the ones that are in the boutiques, you know, be that the, um, the Tannerhouse events or other previous LE launches, you know? So what did you think of the actual event itself? Mm um yeah i thought it was really fun it was an interesting location for it which i think sort of all tied into the the message and the fact you know what the guys have managed to achieve which was a nice sort of part of the build-up to it um it was the first black tie event i think i've ever been to um so i had to sort of scrounge around and get a few things knocked together for that um but it was i think probably i've been to a few of their LE releases as well before now and I think that this was probably the swankiest of, of the events <laughs> by far um, the location kind of gave it some of that feeling um, everybody rocking around in bow ties and you know ball gowns and stuff was, was pretty impressive um, and just generally the, the, the feel and the ambience to the sort of place where they had it um, was fantastic really it was a really nice fun positive atmosphere which coming out of you know the back end of 
you know, having lived with COVID for the last year and a half, was actually really nice and refreshing. I thought it was nice to sort of go out and properly sort of, you know, get dressed up to the nines and uh, have a really good time. But it was, yeah, it was definitely a more grandiose event for sure, I think, than, than their other ones that they've done. don't know what you think about that. Yeah, so I think the venue, yeah, so obviously for those who don't know, uh, it was held at the National Maritime Museum in Greenwich. So the history behind the National Maritime Museum is actually that used to be a part of Greenwich Naval College, which was effectively uh, where we trained the Royal Naval at the time. I believe it wasn't even Royal Navy at the time. I believe it was the British Navy and then the Royal Navy uh, officers and, you know, various positions and stuff like that uh, back when we actually, you know, had tall ships and, you know, all that kind of stuff before all moved down to like Dartmouth and all that so um obviously a really important historical place for not just but, but British history in general but then obviously in terms of watchmaking it's really important um because you've got the observatory at the top of the hill um which as we know is obviously where we did the whole uh prime meridian um which obviously ties in with the watch launch uh but also other stuff like um general uh navigation and all that kind of stuff and timing stuff has always been done out of greenwich really for, for britain so i think as a location like i said it was probably the most fitting location to obviously put it you know given the watch tie-in but also i think it was nice to see if this is potentially like the last le as it were you know because that's kind of what i was you know got the drift from people who was you know there um i thought it was a cool location to kind of round it out if this is like the last big le launch of you know uh, that they were going to do um i think what you know it was cool that they effectively brought it back full circle you know if they had started at greenwich i think it would have been a completely different thing you know what i mean i think like you said they've built up the venues as they've gone on you know and effectively to take it back to the home of effectively british time telling is pretty cool um yeah first black tie event that i've ever been to you're sniggering because you know exactly what i turned up in uh and i know that jana watch will also be sniggering because he knows exactly what i turned up in as well uh i didn't turn up in black tie because i said fuck uh, i said fuck it guys i emailed it Bramont and said want to come to your event as a project leader i'm going to be a bit necky um don't own black tie can i still turn up um which obviously they cut they very kindly allowed me to However, after you left, I did notice, this is a rant now, I did notice two guys came in in jeans, like, and t-shirts or, or something ridiculous. They were definitely in jeans. And I just looked over, I was just like, wow, okay. Um, at least I, I attempted them, but were to- they, Were yeah. they guests though? Were they guests or were they, I yes. they something to do with the event maybe? No, they were actually guests because they were getting on it on the free gin. Um, but yeah, that- yeah, that was a little bit weird. I was, I sat there kind of for all the all the banter that I got for turning up in a normal suit, and there's them in jeans. I was like, really? You know, a, no, a normal suit and how many ties then? How many ties did you? Show? Uh, so I I turned up with a bow tie <laughs> in my pocket. Uh, I turned up without my own tie, guys, because of shit, shit admin, um, which I will defend because I squared away a friend for a funeral. So. Uh, courtesy of james i turned up with a blue tie um but what's really funny right <laughs> is when i went in to put the tie on uh in, in in the in the gents uh there was about six blokes all up in a line in black tie in various states of black tie trying to figure out how to tie a bow tie so i thought that was quite funny 
<laughs> yeah, definitely clip onto the way forward, I think. From yeah, yeah. Brief struggle. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would say so, that as well. And also because a clip on is also always even. You know what I mean? You, you know, if you if you tie it wrong, you're gonna have a lopsided bow tie on. So Yeah, for sure. I think um I mean I think like it it was yeah, it was a lot of fun. They had the the whole kind of build into it the which was great fun. They had the video that they put together from all the different ambassadors that have been involved yeah. with Bremont, which I thought was fantastic. So they had this great big screen so they were playing this video on and it started off basically with a locked watch case being picked up I forget who started the chain but basically each of the ambassadors doing a leg to try yeah. and get it to the National Maritime Museum in time for the event um, <laughs> with Foxy on the Thames like all camoed up on his face um, on a on a rib and then um, I think Aldo Kane supposedly climbing on top of the uh, National Maritime Museum to drop it in from the ceiling, at which point, lo and behold, the case dropped from the ceiling, which was fantastic to Nick yeah. and Giles on stage, you know, trying to make a bit of a hamming it up, catching it down from the uh, rope and releasing it, which I thought was fantastic fun. And everyone was having a properly sort of like, you know, really good laugh at that as it was intentioned to be um, yeah. as they turned up to the event. And then, of course, it was Nick's birthday as well, wasn't it? So, um, yes. Yeah. Happy birthday to Nick! And uh, they had a Marilyn um, Marilyn Monroe um, impersonator, didn't they? Come out and sing yes. happy birthday to Nick, which he was deeply embarrassed about, which cheered yeah. everybody else as well. Yeah, it was it was very it was very funny because he he basically went full full on autistic, didn't he? Full on autistic English gent as it were. He didn't really know how to engage with that. Um, no, but also he than, had a other than turning a shade of red that matched the colour of his jacket, which I thought yeah. was quite impressive. Um, and then obviously turned up. Uh, uh, they turned up obviously with a massive Gramont birthday cake in the shape of a watch, which I felt was quite cool as well. Um, mm. Yeah, I think um, I've, I've had to bail slightly before that turned up. I think so. I, I missed out on the cake, unfortunately. Yeah, it, it, it was there, and and me and Jana Watch made the joke saying how is this now like going to turn into like a kid's birthday party where you leave with a slice of the cake you know like is, is this how it works what, wrapped it wrapped in yeah, a yeah, paper yeah. Serviette, yeah 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 that's what we that's what we're assuming and, yeah do i have to stuff this into my not black tie attire you know um i yeah no i i think you've summed it up really well i think like you said it was a grandiose event you know and kind of rightly so you know for, for what for what their the movement and that watch means to the company and obviously we're going to talk about that in a second um but then also i think it was um you know i think it was cool because like you said we could just come out of all the restrictions and it was nice to dress up it was nice to go see people again you know similar to world time um but then also i think like you said you summarized it really well it was really fun you know, and I think that's something mm. that Bremont are really good at with all their events that I've been to. So I've obviously, we um, did Townhouse a couple of years ago when we met. Um, I've done uh, another one of their LE launches, which was for the 1918, and that was in the Imperial War Museum. Uh, again, people were dressed up, you know, there was people in various military uniforms there and all that kind of stuff, and it was a really cool venue. Um, but either way, all thing, I think 
all of the LE events and the townhouses after a certain time when it gets into the evening. I think Bremont just get a little bit fast and loose. I think they just know how to kind of throw a bit of a party, which is always good. And I think when you go to an event like that, I think, you know, that side of it's needed. You know, it's all very cool talking about a watch and, and a, you know, a new release. But ultimately, I think most people are there just to, have, I think, effectively network, aren't they? To do some networking and have a good time. So. Yeah, I think so. I think um, most of the people you see there as well, though, you will see those faces at other events that they do. So you start mm -hmm. to see people that you get to know a little bit from that. And everyone is super enthusiastic about the brand yeah. and what the um, brothers are trying to do and, you know, the watches that come out and all the rest of it. And whether that ha that particular limited edition is, is for you and floats your boat or not, um, everyone's sort of very enthused by the events. Um, you know, maybe the next watch I'll be sort of more into or the previous one I was more into, whatever you, the conversations you have with people. Mm. But um, it's it's definitely, and it's a bit like um, like that at all their events, really. I mean, like, you know, you go to the little sort of events they do at the Mayfair Boutique, which are pretty small, really, in comparison yeah. in number, um, limited numbers on the invites you get to go to some and not others. Um, but that's always breaks down into the same thing, right? You get to speak to or have be spoken to by whoever they've invited along, whichever adventurers come along. Um, and then it descends into everyone having a bit of a chat. You get to talk to, you know, the ambassador that's turned up. You get to talk to, you know, the brothers that are there and all the guys that you sort of get to know from that sort of brown ecosystem. So like you say, it, it starts off with, there's a certain amount of, ceremony almost to the invitation process and the sort of going along and turning up but it always descends into a great fun party that's surrounded by watches and you know uh the sort of whatever it is they're releasing in that particular event it's cool yeah yeah i agree and like i said it's, it's always fun um and um the people you meet there, like I said, I'm not only enthusiastic about the brand, but I found they've also been some of the more interesting people that I've met in general, uh, not just in watch collecting, but I think in general, some of these people are just very cool people, are very you know, unique people. Um, I know at the last townhouse event, I managed to have a 10 minute conversation with um, Ben Saunders, the British Polar Explorer, you know, and without going to a Brown event, realistically, when would I ever get the opportunity to speak to, you know, a, a Polar Explorer, you know, so as an example there. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I think it was a very, very cool event. I mean, this year, I think the highlight for watch nerds out there was both yourself um, and, you know, me and Mark um, actually met Adam Coniotis, which is quite cool. So, yeah. He was very absolutely nice very nice guy, absolutely steaming when I met him, which was hilarious. Uh, <laughs> he was absolutely I, steaming. I met him a bit earlier in the night where he was talking about maybe not getting quite so steaming because of his early flight back the next day. But it, I think that yeah, it, it, it went downhill quite rapidly because <laughs> when we met him, he turned around and went, you coming for a drink? Uh, and we were like, no, mate, we're not. And he, was, and he went, oh, okay. And then, like, Mark made a comment saying, it's all right, um, you know, we're probably, you know, Brits will probably drink you under the table anyway. And he didn't didn't deny that. Um, uh, and then, obviously, he got onto the subject of his flight. And we, we turned around to him and said, so who booked, you know, did you book your flight for that early in the morning? He went, no, it wasn't wasn't down to me. Um, obviously, Bramont had invited him over. They booked his flight. Uh, and he, I just turned around and went, oh, they've seen you right off there. And I just turned around and went, I wouldn't even go to bed. 
you know what I mean? Like with the time that you've got to get to the airport and the time you're going to finish partying slash drinking with these guys, you may as well just roll straight through. I think at the end of the night when we met him, uh, we met him at the end of at the end of the night when everyone was slowly being exfilled out of uh, the front doors of the Maritime Museum because obviously it was time to get out. Um, he'd c- kind of come to that realisation that he was just not going to sleep until he got on the plane. Um, so yeah, that was quite funny. Um, but it was cool though to, to actually meet him you know I said I've heard his own interviews on other podcasts and he's always seemed quite a I said enthusiastic quite a fun character as it were um, but his mm. his watch of choice was quite cool as well he, he turned up in a Supermarine 500 which was his first Bremont which was quite cool um, yeah. not what I was expecting him to wear um, I thought he was going to wear something else from them but um, to be honest, I didn't even know he had a Supermarine in his collection from all of his posts. Um, but yeah, you know, like I said, he's a, was a cool bloke. Um, so, all good. Um, I think it's time to actually kind of talk about the actual watch itself and like really what this means for, uh, I guess, the future of British watchmaking. Because, you know, like it or not like it, as obviously there is always going to be mixed reviews around any watch release. Um this event and and i think this watch movement not necessarily the longitude watch itself because i mean it's cool as that is and we'll talk about the, the specifics on that watch i think the bramont eng 300 as a movement is going to be quite uh is pivotal the right word or at least you know impactful maybe on the state of british watchmaking mm. from here on out um but yeah uh, so the longitude watch itself, guys, is um, obviously um, in conjunction with uh, Greenwich Observatory, the Royal Observatory. So it's got little nods to that. So in the back, it's got um, copper from the original Prime Meridian line, which is cool. Um, obviously, the, the movement is the ENG 300. Uh, it's got a big state. On it, it's got a power reserve yeah. indicator and an offset second hand. I've got that right. Um, it comes yeah. in steel, gold, rose gold, and white gold. Something like that. Either way, yeah. two two precious yeah, metals. Rose gold and white gold. That's yeah. it. That was it. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, yeah, the you know the nods. The other further nods to the observatory is the the main one that I took away from it is down the centre of the dial. You've got a very thin red line to denote in on the globe to denote the prime meridian going through the center which is quite cool I thought I didn't even notice that actually when I first held the watch it was uh, Mark who pointed that out which I thought was a really nice touch um, and then the power reserve indicator mirrors the time ball which is on the top of the tower at Greenwich Observatory um, for those who don't know what the time ball is it's a red ball that effectively raises goes up the tower um, uh, I think from about quarter to one in the afternoon uh, and then at 1300 on the dot effectively it drops and um, from on a clear day effectively ships and vessels on the Thames would use that time ball in order to set their ship's chronometers so there you go that's what the nerdy history is behind the time ball uh, but the power reserve indicator mirrors the time ball well, actually, no, it doesn't. It actually opposes the time ball. So when the watch is fully charged, you have a fully red um, indicator, which obviously is in the shape of the time ball. Um, the other thing I noticed is yeah. that the hour hands um, also mirror the spire. You've got the um, 
it's like a cathedral hand, you know, similar to Mercedes hand. So it's got that, you know, kind of ball at the end with the spike mm -hmm. on the end of the, the hand. But actually, if you look close enough, it actually mirrors the, um, the, the spire bit of the tower with the time ball on it, which I thought was quite cool. Now, whether they meant for that to happen or I'm just seeing it because all I saw that evening was pictures of the observatory, I don't know. Um, but if so, you know, I, I, I kind of liked it. Um, I really like the watch. And this is coming from a guy who doesn't like dress watches. If I had the money to buy one and have that as my dress watch, I probably would. Um, but because I'm very rarely in black tie, James, as you've realized, in fact, if at all, because I'm never in black tie because <laughs> I don't own black tie, um, I cannot foresee myself wearing it. But I felt what was obviously the important bit for me was actually what the movement in general means to the future of British watchmaking. But I don't know, what was what was your opinion on the actual watch itself? Quick question before we get into that. Then you have mm. a dress uniform. Uh, yes, we do. So uh, you had... You had different... Yeah, I suppose. Um, so I don't actually have that issue to me at the moment. So we get our twos, which is the green stuff, which is the, the more normal stuff that you kind of see on, on smarter parades, you know, such as Remembrance, that's obviously around the mm. corner uh, as a good example, um, or your more traditional stuff, which is the dark navy stuff, which is obviously our ones. So the stuff you see at state ceremonial mm. events and all that kind of stuff. Um, in my new role, apparently, uh, I am more likely to get issued my ones, um, which would be quite cool. I've never worn them. I think they look quite smart. Uh, but yeah, um, I could wear it if I had it if I, at those kind of events. However, um, yeah, you know, if I'm in ones, it occurs me. I was like, yeah. If I'm in ones, it probably would Could have walked up in those if I had them. Uh, but if I was in ones, I think predominantly in my new role, I think I'd be too busy either working or on a parade to have the ability to check my watch, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> you know, but either way, I, either way, in, in yeah, yeah. it's, it's, yeah, it's always working <laughs> in inverted commas. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, if I had the ability to go to more dressy occasions, as it were, um, that, you know, would be uh, a contender if I had that money to, to you know, effectively spend on a dress watch. Um, but yeah, what was your opinion on the longitude itself before we get into like the movement and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, on the longitude itself, I think it's, um, as you say, it's a really nice classic looking um, sort of dress style watch. They've, they've got a couple they've done before with the small seconds at nine. Um, mm -hmm that's not an entirely unfamiliar look for the brand i like the uh power reserve indicator as you pointed out i think that's a really nice touch mm -hmm. that sort of brings it in line to um the royal observatory and the um meridian line as you as you mentioned sort of down the middle of the dial i think is super subtle um it's one of those ones you sort of notice mm -hmm. after you've been staring at it for a little while um it's it's a cracking looking watch i think the the case back and the sort of again with the historic edition there are two takes on this with these various historic limited editions which are people see them as gimmicks or people see them as a nice tie into something they're interested in um i've always been in the latter camp which is you know particularly with the aircraft related models um seeing them as a, a nice tie into something i'm very interested in it gives me a connection yeah. to that watch brand that you can't get from other watch brand really mm -hmm. um and I think, you know, this particular one is kind of connected to itself, which I think is a sort of weird little, 
you know, the, the whole thing folds in on itself, like the, the event, the location, what it relates to, the fact that it's got the meridian line in there, the fact that, you know, that is zero on the longitude um, from which, you know, all points are measured from the fact. So it's kind of like the beginning of um, time being sort of measured in that way. Um, and the meridian line is obviously that historic position where, uh, was it John Flamsteed? The yeah. Astronomer Royal, that was where he made his observations and started everything off for accurate timekeeping. So that folds into what the watch is, folds into the movement, folds into the fact that it's in the UK bringing it home. I think it, it's just a really nicely sort of nice, thoughtful, limited edition. It'll be interesting to see whether it's their last one, because I think this is the 11th, isn't it? I think they did the 10th last year. Yeah, I think, I think it's the 11th, but it's the... They said to me it was something like it's the the eleventh, but te it, but it's the tenth year that they've done one or something. It it for some reason the numbers don't quite work. Um, ah, okay. It's and something like that. Two in a sort of like yeah. It's it's some it's something like that. I think I you know what I think it was. I think it was because I think the EP one twenty and the original P fifty one I think were released really close together or something like that. So I think it's something like okay. it's number. I think it's something like it's number eleven, but technically it's in the tenth year or something like that. You know, it's something like that. We could have got it wrong, guys. You you'll have to Google it because I remember someone saying <laughs> it's it doesn't quite make sense when you look at it, but it does when you draw it out in like you know what i mean in terms of their events so so yeah um i yeah, agree I yeah the um the the ep120 and the p51 they're both fantastic watches both of which i'd love to own but both <laughs> very very hard to combine they are very very um, hard to but combine. anyway yeah um but yeah sorry can i interrupt you uh, I said that I was about to agree with you. So I said they were obviously they're very very hard to come by. But which one would you have? I think EP one twenty because I'm British. Yeah, I think EP one twenty mostly because my favourite aircraft from that period is the Spitfire. Um, mm. I've taken a lot of pictures of that particular Spitfire as well. Um, mm. Obviously, it flies currently. It's currently operational. It's done a lot of air displays yeah. at Duxford. Um, so yeah, I think probably EP one twenty. Mm. Yeah, and also the other side of it is you can actually buy the Alt 1Z51 still, can't you? So effectively, it's the same dial as, well, very, very, very similar dial to the P51. So, I mean, if you want that look, you can still get it, I guess. Um, it's still not the limited edition watch that I would have overall. If you were to tell me I could have one, um, I would actually go for the Codebreaker. So nice. Yeah. Yeah, the code breaker does yeah, I, th I, I think that's just really cool. The one that I think the what the probably ultimate one for me is probably the right flyer, which contra mm. controversy aside, what it's got in the back piece of the um sort of doped canvas from the right flyer and what the guys trying to do and it is actually a really really nice movement in that watch it's just yeah. such a fantastic looking piece but they are desperately expensive and even harder to come by yeah. um i think yeah runner up for me would probably be um ep120 i think mm. yeah no they are like i said i i think there's there's not many um 
And I think you'd agree with me. You know, we're, we're clearly both Brabant fanboys to an extent uh, in various guises. Mine, obviously, on the side of the special projects and, you know, more military-related ones. And obviously, your, I think your grasp on the, their releases and, and them as a brand is a little bit more general, um, mainly because you've actually been around the brand longer than I have. Um, but there's actually, if you look at all of the lines in Brabant, there's, there's not many watches within each line that I probably wouldn't be happy to own which is, I think, is quite unusual for um, most watch companies. Because I think most watch companies, I'm very straight down line. I like one particular line in that company, and that's pretty much it. Uh, whereas, yeah, there's quite a few from different lines in Brummel, which I would have, which is, I think is quite a good thing, really. I met um, Mike Pearson. He used to be sort of their head of sales in the US, I think, and he's now sort of oh, yeah. living in the UK, and he had his um, victory. Of, yes. Um fantastic looking watch that is he showed me um we were sort of away from the thing i was just having a chat and he asked me which one i had on sort of thing so i asked him what he had and yeah the victory's a really really nice piece mm. yeah no that's uh really cool um it's got a retrograde um chronometer uh retrograde um chronograph on it as well mm. and yeah. um I think that's just really unique. I don't, obviously, it's the only one that they've done with a retrograde chronograph, but there's not many watches I've seen with retrograde chronographs, actually. It must be quite difficult to make them because of how it works. So. Yeah. I, yeah, it's an interesting one, actually. It's, um, yeah, it's a really sort of different different piece, that, but mm. we've, we've gone off perhaps on a little bit of a tangent away from... A little bit, yeah. A little <laughs> bit. The, the, um, the longitude. But. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, yeah, I mean, bringing it back any, anyway into longitude because you can turn around and say Royal Navy and finding longitude. There you go. Um, what do you think the movement itself, like you said, you've, you mentioned it very briefly then with, with the right fly. Obviously, there was a slight controversy with their previous statement once before. And obviously, we're, I'm not really here to judge that. I, you know, I, I kind of understand it, the whole watch in-house, not in-house, you know, kind of argument from a very cynical point of view because from my point of view i look at it and say every company out there pretty much has an element of their movements made by someone else because it just it's yeah. the only way it happens you know what i mean you know and, and and there was an argument like i heard earlier in the week and it was oh well i did but you see for example make all of their movements well, yes they do but you know, there's still a percentage of it that is from someone else, you know, and they pull out bits and they redo bits and they have their own stuff, you know, and that, you know, in terms of like the IP and like the whole letter of the law, it's an our in-house movement. I get that, you know, so from my understanding, I, I don't think anything that they've done in the past even is, you know, out of the realms of that, you know, but I obviously understand that some people are quite snobby about it, but what do you think the impact is of that movement now that the ENG uh, 300 and, and where that stands for you know the future effectively of, of mechanical British watchmaking I mean I think the I think it's a huge step forward I think you know in terms of what the guys have been trying to achieve and the money they've poured into machinery that they've been sort of purchasing working through getting the machining right for cases and so on building more and more of that watch um, from uh, the UK I think the fact that they've gotten as far with it as they have, and they make some pretty significant sort of foundational parts of this movement in mm -hmm. 
um, in in the wing at Henley. Um, the fact that there's you know some parts of it are made. I think if you look at there's an article from the Naked Watchmaker, which breaks it down really nicely. Actually, there's an article on there about making movements at Bremont, where he talks specifically about um, the NG300. Um, talks about it in detail and what the variations are on the movement mm -hmm. in terms of how they've changed it from the K1, which is the thing they bought the IP for. Um, so they've actually put a lot of changes into it and made a lot of design changes to toughen it, particularly, mm -hmm. um, which perhaps gives us some hints as to future uses, maybe, <laughs> of yeah. that movement of, you know, and to sort of fall into line with Bremont's sort of ethos of tested beyond endurance. There are elements in there where they have deliberately strengthened the um, sort of nature of the movement. That I think I read on possibly, I think it was a Hedinki article, um, which I don't typically read, but the, the this article in question mentioned that the guys who THE Plus, where they got sort of the IP from, they'd made significant changes to it that they didn't see it as a modified movement. They saw it as a different movement, mm -hmm. which is quite a statement to make. Yeah. So I think the fact that they've got the key pieces in into manufacturing, the rest are steps away now. Mm. <laughs> so actually sort of being able to turn around now, granted they've released it in a limited edition. They've always said they were going to do that um, to sort of give it some clout when they sort of did the release. It will make its way into other watches, I'm sure. Um, over the course of the next 12 months, um, which I'm really looking forward to seeing, actually. Um, actually having that happening on these shores again <laughs> for the first time in quite some time, um, yeah, at a sort of industrialized scale. I mean, obviously, you've got watchmakers that are making watches individually one by one, which is mm -hmm. a different ballgame entirely. Um, but being able to productionize this, um, and actually produce enough watches to be able to sort of sell them on the open market, I think it's bloody fantastic. Mm. Um, I think the whole in-house, not in-house keyboard warrior debate that rages online, you know, there are lots of things about big brands in Switzerland that don't get made in Switzerland or in-house yep. by the big brands. Um, yep. Rolex only became fully in-house because they acquired the company that was the final piece in the chain. So. Mm where people are saying, oh, well, they bought some IP. Well, what do you think Rolex did to finish off getting it all in-house? You know, they, they purchased um, a business. Yep. That's the same bloody thing. <laughs> they didn't yeah. organically grow it internally from the bottom up. No business has done that, really, for a very long time now. Um, yep. And I think the fact that they've managed to achieve it, people will say they think they're overpriced or, or whatever. I, I, I think they're probably at the top end of where they need to be, Roman Watchers, mm. probably. Are they overpriced for what they're trying to achieve and what it actually they're investing into and the way they're sort of putting money back into the business to try and get this sort of, you know, manufacturing piece back together again? I, I don't think so. And if, if you don't buy into it, you don't buy into it, that's fine. Since some very amusing sort of debates that go on online, you sort of have a really interesting algorithm brief, you know, get a life, guys. If you don't like their watches, you don't like their watches, can look at something else. Um, you've just spent how many hours of your time sitting here posting up comments about how much you don't like their watches. Good God. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> What yeah, a spectacular yeah. waste of your own time. But I think, yeah, I, listen, they're always going to have their detractors and 
the people they're going to criticise them out there, much as any brand does, to be fair. Yeah. I think um, Bremont have made themselves slightly controversial through the Right Flyers movement, sort of, you know, debacle a long time ago is what it is. Mistakes were made, but this is a very different ball game to that. Mm. You know, very, very different ball game. And I think it's quite exciting, really. I think it's a pretty cool achievement. Yeah, no, it definitely is a cool achievement. I think, like you said, last time, mass like production, as it were, of you know mechanical movements or the beginnings, of, as in this case, you know, um, of you know um, mechanical movements being made in Britain was when Smiths liquidised about fifty years ago. You know, so it's been a long time coming. You know, um, mm. it's it's interesting, like you said, the fact that they, you know, they change so much of the um, movement itself. You know, like you said, where and toughened it in certain ways. You know, they even said at the event. I remember they were saying how they, you know, they're putting their imbalance um, bridges and all that kind of stuff in there and gear trains and all that kind of stuff, which you kind of expect from Ramon. Um, and like you said, and the fact that they're, you know, they're machining main plates and all of that kind of stuff as well is quite cool. Um, but like I said, it's it doesn't surprise me that they were going to do that because, like you said, at the end of the day what are these watch the eventual movements that are going to drop into the more mainstream um uh lines of Bramont will end up going into predominantly effectively luxury sport watches you know so it doesn't surprise me that they're mm. trying to toughen these movements and that they're going to go into that because like you said the test beyond endurance you know uh, tagline that is Bremont, you know, I wouldn't, I, I personally would have expected nothing less, but like you said, the big thing for me um, in reading the comments is quite interesting how people are saying how, like you said, oh, well, you know, in-house is, you know, buying IP and all that argument. And then also the whole, like you said, the price argument, which is quite funny because at the end of the day, you know, you're going to pay for it. You're going to pay a higher premium because bits of it are made in Britain. You know, I've, you know, it goes back to the whole kind of anything, you know, where you buy it in a place where you're effectively your manpower and your, you know, your labor costs are cheaper, you can afford to sell it cheaper. You know, that's basically where it is. Yeah. You know, it, it, it doesn't mean that doesn't detract from that item, you know, at all. Cause obviously, you know, you look at places, you know, look at, you know, we're talking now on, on, on computers, which have been, you know, made in China. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just you know you go yeah. to the man you go to the place that manufactures these things the best in order to sell the best product that you can sell. Basically, yeah. I mean, you know, arguably, if you went if you went and bought the right manufacturers in China and purchased them outright and acquired them as part of your business, and you could say, right, I'm having a movement made there, I'm having a case made there, I'm having, mm -hmm. I'm having, I'm having. You could say, I'm in house. Yes, you own them all, right? Yeah. But yeah, it's exactly. not the same thing. So there are other companies that are saying, oh, well, that company's done an in-house movement for far less money, but not to the quality and standard that these mm -hmm. guys are trying to achieve. And, you know, another flagstone of Bremont's line is obviously the Martin Baker yep. ones. You know, if it's going into any of their watches, it's almost certainly going to be going to that, right? Because it's the sort of real underlying flagstone of the whole range is mm -hmm. the MB. Um, so you can imagine them getting it ready for that. I mean, I'll just sort of just to quickly sort of um, uh, paraphrase slightly from the naked watchmaker. So they've increased the number of case clamps, they've broadened the lower automatic bridge and increased the jewel size. Um, they've uh, 
replaced the original balance cock bridge um, with a new bridge that holds the balance assembly in position from both sides. Mm -hmm. um, they've changed the original regulation system. So it's now a free sprung balance wheel instead, yeah. which has tiny little adjustment wheels in the um, in the balance wheel itself, uh, adjustment, adjustment screws, sorry. And then the silicon Swiss lever went through over 14 modifications until it was validated. You know, they've they've admitted, uh, made modifications to the original original um, cannon pinion clutch system. Mm -hmm. um, they've, you know, that's 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 just strengthening changes. Yep. Yeah. Uh, that's it's quite quite a quite a list of things to get done. And then obviously they they've sort of manufacturing a good number of those parts themselves. Um, I think it's in their sent away for finishing elsewhere um, mm -hmm. because they haven't got the 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 coating facilities just yet. But you know, it's a matter of time before they finished off some of those smaller pieces, I think. Mm. Um, and actually, you should be able to get to a stage where in that wing, you know, bits of metal go in the front, watches with movements manufactured right there, come out the other side. Now, that's that's in-house, right? Yeah. When you get yeah. to that stage, that's proper, proper in-house, um, where it's seen all the way through. What they're doing, I think he goes on to explain the different stages of, or the classifications for the different stages of manufacturing and what they're already doing in-house in, in there versus what's sort of being sent away. And, you know, there's a number of pieces for them to do, but I think the hardest parts, it feels like they're kind of, you know, they've broken the back of it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, 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 I'd agree that they've broken the back of it and it's definitely what eight steps probably in the right direction to what they wanted to achieve all those years ago and what oh, they've been yeah. saying, you know what I mean? Um, like I said, I think a lot of it is effectively just, effectively, like you said, you know, we, it is, watches is a very emotive hobby, I believe. And you either love a brand because you like the story and all that kind of stuff, or you like the particular watches, um, or you don't. Um, and that's absolutely fine, you know, um, like what you like, you buy what you buy, because at the end of the day, you've got to wear it. Um, and I feel, like I said, a lot of the people who have lost sleep over this um, effectively appear to be, you know, effectively just people who just don't like the brand. And like I said, that's fine. You know, I'm not here to defend the brand, but, you know, it is interesting how I think you need to look at it in a wider context of actually, you know, this is the beginnings of bringing it all back to UK, which I think is quite cool. Um, so, yeah, you know, I mean, there's, and, there's, brands, there's brands out there that I don't like. Mm. But do I hate them? Do I want to go and kick off about how terrible I think they are? Do I want to go and spend time, you know, writing about that? No, I don't hate them. I just mm -hmm. don't like their watches because they don't appeal to me. Um, I, you know, I, I don't understand why sort of people get the way they do this stuff. Personally, I think it's a bit, mm -hmm. a bit of a, a misdirection of one's energy. Yeah, well, I'd like you said it's. I think it's the emotive side of the uh, the hobby coming out there. I think the other point that I'm going to leave off in terms of the movement, because obviously, you know, clearly we've aired our opinion on like where this is going um, or where it appears to be going, and what we, our thoughts are, is what I found interesting was the fact that they have the ability um, with that base ENG 300 to effectively add um, up to well, not obviously on the same watch, but you know, it have 18 different combinations of complication onto that movement you know so i think that's quite cool it shows you as well that like you said it's a versatile movement you know i mean i don't know yeah. many calibers really that you can add 
so many other things or combinations of things that effectively get 18 complications um, you know, or 18 different complications sets on there. But, you know, I think that's pretty cool. You know, like I said that the, the fundamentals, if you strip them all away, should be the same thing, you know, it, it, across the majority of their lines, really. What will be interesting to see actually is, do they put their time next into finishing off those other bits that remain to mm. be manufactured or adding complication which comes with new manufacturing mm. if you see what i mean so if, if you add a complication you're not making those parts right now no no yeah of course so do you do you create your own modification to those modules and you presumably have to invest time and effort in the r d to get all that done feels like you finished the base movement first to me i think yeah, like, yeah. so that you get yeah, i mean it's like right this is all ours now i don't know yeah. it'd be interesting i mean i think it make i think i mean I, again i'm not business-minded but i think from my point of view if you turn around to me and went what would you do i would finish the very basic version of that movement which going historically across the lines would be a three-handed watch with a date you know, and if you look at the lines mm -hmm. that that falls under, that's pretty much every solo watch. As if every solo watch, the majority of the, well, every U2 line watch, um, half half of the MB line, yeah, or two thirds of the yeah. MB line, if really, you know, because there's three versions, two thirds of the MB line, um, the Airco yeah. range. And then yep. the ladies, the ladies models, you know, it would, it would make sense. You know, if you look at that as a big part of their brand, really in their lines, that's a big thing. That's, you know, something, if you nail that, you've effectively done, you know, at least what probably, I can't even do the mass, what around a third of your lines mm. really. Cause obviously the bigger, the, the rest of them are, um, well, actually, sorry, even the Supermoon watches. Even the Supermarine yeah. divers, the majority of them are basically three-handed watches with a date. You know, you've basically done probably half. The will be a challenge because they're a bit yeah. smaller, aren't they? The yeah, yeah, ones. they are. Um, yeah. But then this is, the, and the other, this is a completely different argument, isn't it? Is, are there many women who would appreciate a in-house movement or do they just want a nice watch if they want an automatic watch that works? You know, is that potentially wasted investment because, like I said, those ladies' watches go down to, what is it, 32 or something? They go down mm -hmm. quite small, you know. It's a bit like how you get quartz Amigas, don't you, still in the ladies' lines because the movements are so small. They've just stuck with um, quartz Amiga movements. You know, is it the same kind of yeah. idea you know, where they look at the uh, potential, and I'm not, you know, I guess this is um, uh, stereotyping here, really, you know, because uh, I know that there are some female watch collectors out there who do appreciate an in-house movement. Um, but for the most part, the average customer who would walk into a Belmont boutique would probably look at it and go, that's a very pretty watch, I want it. You know, oh, it's automatic, so I have to wind it if I don't wear it, cool. You know, whatever, don't really care what's inside it as long as it looks nice and tells the time you know yeah, um, that's, that's, the ladies watch things is a bit is, is a thing that sort of fascinates me a little bit because a lot of watch brands and Bremont themselves sort of do this as well fall into this kind of oh we must you know bedazzle it with diamonds yeah and or pearl. mother of pearl everything yeah 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 <laughs> it's like um 
the amount of sort of women that are into watches generally, it's fast about having a smaller watch because they're into watches mm. generally. B don't want all that stuff all over their watch. Mm. Um, C seem to be less interested in that kind of dial. Yeah. They're more seeing watches as a unisex experience. Yes, yeah. I think you know is, is perfectly true. I mean, like my half wears a Solo Thirty Seven, which is a yes. very you know I could wear that. I I I, I I I will I raise my hand and I can definitely wear that because I've got tiny wrists. <laughs> right, can you raise your hand? It depends on which watch you've got, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, trying to trying to lift them, trying to lift my lift yeah, I'm trying to lift my forty-four <laughs> millimeter Canford right now. It's quite heavy. Um, <laughs> um, but like, I think maybe your your point of to the general punter off the street that's going to walk through the door and is not, you know of the watch idiots event kind of mm -hmm. watch fam sort of community probably maybe they do like that stuff maybe they, i guess the guys have done their marketing but mm. like you know uh, marketing research but there's so many women i know that are into watches like oh why have they put diamonds all over it? Yeah. um you know about many many watch brands but yeah it's, it's interesting it's the observation there that it's maybe yeah. it's a bit like how many people when you see with a nice watch you say oh nice watch and they're like they have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> have no exactly. idea what the watch is. Yeah. Um, typically, when you see someone, conversely, when you see someone wearing something like a Bremont or, you know, something a bit more niche like that, you have a conversation with them. The chances are you'll have a good conversation with them about it. Yeah. Um, the amount of people I've seen, oh, nice, you know, whatever Rolex you're wearing. Yeah, yeah, this thing, yeah. It's all the time, you know, yeah, in yeah. conversation. Um, I, I bumped into a guy in... Um, Schiphol Airport in Amsterdam mm -hmm. where, and I, I saw him he was just sitting in the queue directly in front of me and he, he turned his hand in such a way that I saw he was wearing a brim on so I collared him after we got through security and I was like oh nice watch that's a brim on he was like oh yeah yeah started chatting to me about it and then about a month later I was at the Mayfair boutique at one of the events the guy rocks up and it's the guy who owns Brompton Bicycles nice <laughs> The guy I bumped in, in. Yeah, <laughs> like, hang yeah, on a minute, yeah. I recognise you from Schiphol Airport. He was like, oh yeah, I recognise you too. And it was, um, <laughs> he turned up at one of the Bremont events, which I thought was quite funny. That's quite um, funny. You, you seem to be more likely to have that experience with a more niche brand than a, yeah. you know, oh hey, nice Navitimer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a watch. You know, yeah. it's people that have bought them because their peer group has them or they think it's the right thing to have because it's a Rolex or, you know, whatever. Then it's more comes back to my kind of unpopular opinion of Rolex being a fashion brand. Um, Most are, people I have asked who have a yeah. Rolex don't have a fucking clue about watches. They've bought yeah, them because yeah. they're fashionable. So yeah, they're a course. fashion brand in my eyes. Yeah, of course. <laughs> they might yeah. be a high quality one. You know, yeah, yeah. Not, I'm not comparing them to Daniel Wellington or anything, but if you, you look at the majority of people that buy them, that puts them in that camp, I think, personally. Yeah, Send no, your hate mail into Dan, not me. <laughs> <laughs> well... I mean, we both have access to the to the just two ticks blog, so you know you can send it there if you want. Um, but I I would agree. <laughs> I do agree with you. I think, like you said, they are um, yeah, they are definitely a marketing brand, and they've definitely gone away from potentially their original roots. And I think that's the best way to describe Rolex at the moment. Um, very quickly before we kind of like something you know, move on to closing notes. You know, you we spoke obviously very briefly then about obviously 
the use of this movement potentially in the smaller ladies watches and then obviously the opinion of potential potential opinion on on ladies um and towards Bremont and towards an in-house movement in a Bremont or whatever but what was um Naomi's opinion on on the watch or did would she just more like you said it's it was a really cool event it was a nice looking watch you know thanks for you know a, a night away from you know babysitting as a were and all that kind of stuff you know what I mean or was it actually a <laughs> oh, actually, that's really quite cool. You know, could we, you know, I'd be interested in having that in my my solo 37, you know what I mean? Was, you know, or was it like, more mm. of a, that's, a, that's a pretty watch, it's pretty cool as a limited edition. I understand where this means for, you know, the, the wider picture of where this mean, means British watchmaking is going, but I don't really care, you know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to do a disjustice by saying um, that it was just, oh, that's a pretty watch, but I think, mm the significance of the movement. She's probably not mm -hmm. sufficiently into watches to yeah. appreciate that quite. Mm -hmm. I think she gets that it's been a big part of the journey, partly because yeah. you know, probably heard me harp on about it, but she's met Nick a few times, he's talked to her and stuff. So, you know, I think she gets that it's a big deal. Um perhaps doesn't value it in the same way that you would do if you were properly mm -hmm. into watches but understands it. Um she, she she likes the watches typically as they come out. Mm. Um, she's got her Solo 37. Um, she's, I think, I think there's another one in train for mm. her. I think which I shall, I should not mention. We'll see. We'll see whether whether I manage to sort of persuade her to give, just let herself buy something for a change. Yeah. Um, she's, she can be quite restrictive with herself with, uh, with cash, which I spoke as well, given I'm a complete fucking disaster area with it. Um, but, uh, <laughs> uh, you, would you be considered the enabler? <laughs> <laughs> I, I um, almost make a hobby of enabling people. Um, <laughs> like if I get an opportunity, it's like, that looks nice. Yeah, I think you should think about adding that to your collection. Or that would fit really well with such and such. Like I, I take great delight in doing that. I find it very funny. Um, and see it as a personal victory if I manage to get someone to buy a watch. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, living, living your watch dreams vicariously through others. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, we, we um, um, you know, obviously you, you were on the show ages ago with the two broke watch noms guys. I'm a member of their um, Patreon and go on their Slack channel, and that is just basically an enormous watch enablers group. <laughs> <laughs> you, you put a watch and go, oh, I'm thinking about this watch and get pounced on by about 10 people going, yeah, get it. I think it really suits you. And like just piling in with the um, things as a sort of <laughs> yeah. in joke slash it's fun to enable people. But um, yes, I'm probably the enabler of the two. Um, mm. Although to be fair, she's bought me a couple of nice watches. Yes. Um, yeah. as you know, and we covered a bit previously. But yeah, I think she, she loved the event. She likes the event she's been to um, mm. one or two before. Um, she thought it was great fun. Enjoy yourself. A bit tired at the end, obviously, not having Standard. lost yeah, yeah. um, given birth. But um, yeah, I think the significance of the detail of the movements probably not something that you know she's just not interested in watches yeah. in, that, in that way. I don't think. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is probably the best way to summarise, I guess. Um, you know, the general. I guess in, in really the general customer towards most watch brands, not just Bremont. And like I said, the majority of people just want the watch that tells the time if they want a mechanical watch, they want a mechanical, you know. And, um, and, which... and quite often people buy them because they like the look of them and, and don't yeah. understand what they're buying. I saw somebody posting somewhere asking for whether they should send their watch back to um, the 
company's customer service because the watch kept stopping and mm. it was an automatic watch. They kept flicking the wheel around a couple of times and it would go and then stop again. So they thought there was something wrong with it. You know, it's like, uh, yeah. no, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. not how it works. Um, yeah. But they like to look at the watch. So, I, I, you know, yeah. I, I guess that applies to some extent. You would always get that sort of customer aspect. And I suppose that's what everyone's aspiring to as well, right? It's to just have mm -hmm. people walking off the street and want to buy one of your watches. Yeah. Yeah, because obviously at the end of the day, that's what keeps the lights on with these com uh, these companies uh, writ large. It's not just the watch fam that keep the lights on for the, all these businesses. Uh, hence why they don't make watches for just watch collectors, because, you know, otherwise they'll be making exactly what we want every single time. Um, I think that's it, mate. I think that's the events kind of like summed up. You know, I said I'm quite excited to see where it kind of goes, really. Um, I think, you know, I said it, I think it's... Uh, step in the right direction and i think it's still going to be a long process really if you think about it you know especially when you add in all the various complications that eventually they would probably look to add if just going off the other you know like i said uh watch lines within the company so like i said i think it's quite exciting to effectively be at the beginning of that journey um before we move on to closing notes, have you got anything else that you want to summarise about uh, Bramont, the movement, the event, um, or even back to obviously the world time stuff that we spoke at the very beginning? Not the leaps to mind. Cool. Happy days. So um, <laughs> closing notes, obviously, we've had a quick discussion about closing notes. So unlike time, the tradition of the ZT podcast, where I allow the guests to go first, um, I'm going to give you a little bit more time for you to scramble uh, for a few extra points or an extra point um i will kick off with my ones i've actually got uh ones ties in with uh, the brahman event uh, one ties into films which is pretty cool and then the other one is just stickers so we'll start with stickers because it's the smallest one and the shortest point um aliness.com um they're also known as like aliness magazine on instagram and all that kind of stuff uh effectively a military related or associated morale slash um, meme slash you know kind of company they sell t-shirts patches stickers and all that kind of stuff if you like some of that kind of stuff go and check out their instagram or their website i've recently just taken in about three or four of their new stickers um literally just to put on my watch box because they're quite funny um I've got a couple of their patches as well. Um, a particular highlight being the one which says the words, and I'm looking at it right now, so I'm quoting it. It says, follow uh, follow me, lads. I'm fucking bulletproof. And it's got a bayonet on it. Uh, I just like it, how it's quite <laughs> aggressive and how it's quite funny. Um, but yeah, so check them out if you like that kind of humour uh, or you know, just want some different stickers to put on stuff. Um, so there's that. Um, I've also got a book. Uh, for those who want to obviously read, you can also get it on Audible and all that kind of stuff um, and Kindle and the likes. But it's called Longitude and it's actually written by a bloke called Davis Sobel. It's been mentioned on various other podcasts and I believe I actually may have even mentioned it right back in the beginning of the Zulu Time podcast, uh, back in like the history um kind of episodes uh you know so we documented the history of military watches um longitude it's all about effectively yeah the history of finding longitude so it follows um 
that story and, and the importance of obviously knowing where you were in the world and what time it was accurately and how that affected the world. It talks about the observatory. It talks about Harrison and his uh, ship's chronometers that he made and obviously how that affected effectively the British Empire and then obviously the wider world uh, in the mid uh, 18th century, really. So in the 1700s into the 1800s, how basically that was important. So yeah, go check that book out. And obviously it's very in keeping with the Bremont uh, release of the Bremont Longitude. And finally, uh, film suggestion. The majority of people that I know have seen it, um, but I also do know that there are uh, listeners uh, of the Zulu Time podcast out in America and they probably haven't seen it yet because I believe it was only just released this week, premiered, um, is obviously the latest James Bond film, uh, No Time to Die. Um, have you seen it, James? I have not, no. Okay. Uh, well, you need to go and see it when you get a chance to see it. I know that's obviously you're going to have to balance that around. Uh, babysitting and all that kind of stuff and and, 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 and and children and all that kind of stuff. But when you do get a chance, mate, please go and see it. Don't wait until it's released because um, it is a film that needs to be seen in the cinema. Uh, the only point that I've got, I've got two points for it. Uh, one is uh, advice. If you've not seen the film Spectre in a long time, watch that the day before you go to see the film, just because it will jog some memories and there are elements of the film that kind of hark back to um, Spectre, and it's quite important because obviously, you know, um, I didn't, I forgot actually that Spectre was released back in 2015. So it's been a long time coming, there's no time to die film. Um, and then from my personal point of view, I think as a James Bond film, I think it was a very fitting way for uh, Daniel Craig to finish his time as Bond. Um, it's got everything in there as a standard Bond film that you'd want. It's got um, obviously action explosions it's got Amiga because we all love Amiga um, it's got um, great acting good actors and then obviously a, a good storyline um, not the first James Bond film that if I was to suggest to someone who's never seen James Bond I'd never tell them to start there um, not just because it's the end of Daniel Craig but I think there's better not better Bond films but there's more there's easier on films to watch um, to kind of break people into that franchise because I won't lie to you um, it's quite it does take quite a dark kind of turn and some of the things that they kind of you know kind of want to uh, portray in that film is obviously not your typical Bond film shall we say uh, so definitely not not the Bond film to start if you've never seen one um, if you do want a James Bond film to start, I'd always say Casino Royale, because I think it's actually got uh, everything in it that a James Bond film needs to have in it, to be honest. Um, that or GoldenEye, but that's mainly because, you know, I'm the child of the 90s, and that was the first one I ever saw. Fair enough. But yeah, there you go, mate. That's uh, my closing notes. Uh, but you will have to let me know when you go to see No Time to Die what your thoughts are, uh, not just on the watch, yeah. but obviously on the film in general. Um, so yeah. Cool. Yeah, cool. certainly will do. Okay. Um, nope, that's interesting. My uh, lights have just turned themselves off and turned themselves off in the house. Let me just pop that back on. So I'm not sitting here in the darkness. Um, so um, yeah, my closing notes. One is an audio book. So it's a book I've written before, as um, uh, in you know old-fashioned picking up a book and reading it format. Um, <laughs> old-fashioned. But I noticed. <laughs> But 
I um, I noticed that on Audible, um, there's a book I'd read before had become available and was being read by the author, which I thought would be particularly interesting. So mm-hmm. the book is called Across the Fence, which is by John Strykermeyer, who is an ex um, uh, MACV SOG operative who uh, mm-hmm. was in Vietnam in 1968, 1969, I think. Um, and he talks through missions that he went on himself or sort of first-hand accounts he got from his colleagues that were doing the same. Um, one particularly bonkers account was, I think it was October the 5th and 6th in 1968, uh, Lynn Blackjack Black went on a completely crazy mission, which, yeah, you just have to hear it or slash read it to believe it. But whether you pick up the book to read or pick up the audio book, mm-hmm. well worth a listen. I think um, John Strykermeyer, obviously in his narration, he's an ex-Special Forces soldier. He's not a professional um you know, voiceover artist. Um, but I think, you know, whenever I've listened to people that have narrated their own books, I think it sort of brings something to it, something a bit more personal. So I think that's worth checking out. Um, so that's Across the Fence um, by John Strykermeyer. Yeah, um, he did it and, He did it in two parts, didn't he? I believe. Um, so well, he's done a number of books. He's done um, a number of them, hasn't he? he? Because I've read, a, I've, re- I've read, across the fence and I've read one of the other ones or similar ones by other Mac V Sod guys. Um, I'll have to get the audible because obviously I kind of want to listen to him read his own book. Like you said, I, I agree with you. I think that narration by the person always brings it alive, but um, I'm pretty sure he did a part one and a part two. can't remember. There, there was a couple of other books with a slightly different title. So yeah. the audio book is the expanded version. So once he gets to the end of this book, there's, um, he adds on some stuff at the end where lots of questions he's received about what kit did you use? You okay. know, how did it differ from when you were in part of the herd, as he referred to it, you know, basically being a line infantryman? Mm-hmm. How did your kit in SOG differ from that? So he sort of, he, he he's, that's the bit I'm just sort of finishing off at the moment, which is the expanded part of it, I guess, where he okay. sort of talks to some extra interesting content. Um, so it's less about the missions they were running and more about sort of, you know, ancillary sort of topics around the edges, basically. Um, yeah. But he's also on Instagram. Um, he is. Striker yeah. Meyer. yeah. Yeah. He's um, um, he's actually and, spoken uh, to me once, which was quite cool. Ah, oh, very cool. Yeah. yeah he it's all like all about pretty... all about watches, ironically. Um, yes. Yes. Probably, uh, I I would hazard a guess at it being your um, trio. Uh, yes. Yeah. Watches, yeah. Yeah. He's. Go on. I was about to say he's um he's actually read the article that's on uh, on the shared blog and he's he, he likes the shared blog in general and he was really impressed with um effective, effectively that um there are nerds out there who are trying to find those watches uh, and then he told me a very heart yeah and then he told me a heartbreaking story of how he lost his um bodyboarding in the surf um oh, in america so he survived all that time in the jungle only to fall off his wrist and he blames to this day blames the black rubber strap that it was on uh, which i can only imagine to be a tropic rubber strap so that's why i don't wear them <laughs> <laughs> he um he mentions the watch specifically looking at the loomed hands a couple of times in, in his book actually Mm. Um, didn't mention what the watch was, but it just made me think of your watch collection when he mentioned it. Um, but yeah, he's, he seems to be active on podcasts and stuff as well. So it might be worth going out um, 
checking him, him out as well. Maybe Dan, you, I'll send you his uh, Instagram account or you can chuck it in the show notes. Yeah, I'll throw, in, I'll throw in the show notes, yeah. Yeah, anybody's interested to have a look. Um, the other thing, uh, which I was thinking of for a closing note, was there's um, currently an Instagram account called Cockleshell Watch Club, mm-hmm. um, who are well worth a follow. And they're currently a raffle um, for a Seiko um, tuner, I think mm-hmm. it's a quartz one. It's a solar one with um, a sort of, it's the black with the kind of gold surround to the bezel. Yeah. yeah. Um, the proceeds of which go to Rock to Recovery UK. Okay. So yeah, cool. they're doing a little little GoFundMe where you can sort of contribute, you know, your entry gets you a ticket, be it a fiver or a tenner or, a, you know, if you do three separate five pound entries, I think that might get you three tickets. I'm not 100% certain, but mm-hmm. the, the idea is, is chuck some money in, you might win a watch and some other few bits and pieces like a mug and some straps and bits and pieces like that. But ultimately, your money's going to go to charity. Um, the watch was donated to them by a, by a follower, I think. So, um, yeah, I think that's probably worth uh, checking out as one of my other things to mention. Yeah, or, or you know me, all for supporting charitable causes. And like I said, if it's going to go to Rock to Recovery as well, that's always a good one, you know. Uh, so yeah, definitely send that through, mate. Because I didn't know that that was a raffle and that, that they were doing that actually. So yeah, send it through, and I'll uh, put it in the show notes. Cool, cool. Happy days, right, James? Thank you very much, mate, for coming back on to the podcast for your second uh, second showing, as it were. Uh, you never know; we might have to get you on for a third one, mate, if the watch events keep continuing the way that they have been continuing. Um, I can hear the collective booing from your audience already. Um, definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. Uh, it's probably quite refreshing, mate, to uh, to get someone on here as well, uh, instead of just me doing public service announcements. Um, in terms of the podcast, guys, before we let, let you go, obviously, like I said at the very beginning, um, I am on uh, monthly episode releases as, as it stands at the moment. And hopefully, um, you know, that will change in the new year. Uh, to go back to you know two episodes a month uh, but it really is just down to uh, my current you know status on this course and how that is going um, but again I've got more people and interviewees lined up so obviously look forward to that um, but yeah other than that I've got nothing else for you like I said James thank you very much mate for giving up your time to come and talk to me uh, this evening about all things British watchmaking Bremont Elliot Brown and Wild Time um, I've got nothing else. So, yeah, if you're content, mate, we'll end it there and we'll let the good people get on with their lives. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me on again. Um, It's been a pleasure. And, uh, yeah, maybe we'll look forward to another time. Yeah, definitely, mate. Take care and I'll talk to you soon. And everyone out there, have a good day. Bye.